Mark chapter number 11, and we'll make sure everything is running. Mark chapter number 11, and we got down, we were, we've been away for a couple weeks, so let's just pick up here in verse 22, and then we'll uh, work our way down through uh, the verses here. Uh, again, we've been away from the passages and everything, so uh, we'll uh, start it here. Luke, uh, Mark 11, Mark 11, verse 22. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire... When ye pray, believe ye <clears throat> that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. And when ye stand praying, forgive, if ye have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now, again, I think last time we were together, we got through verse 23. And this passage is a passage that really strikes fear in the hearts of most believers <clears throat> because of the, 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 the statements here about prayer. And when you don't rightly divide the word, you have confusion uh, here, and it begins to set in. So we have to leave these verses in their context. And again, context is king. And when you see what has happened here, the Lord has come in, he's presented himself, he's come down off the mountain, he goes into the temple, he looks around, he goes out, he sees the fig tree, he curses the fig tree, then the next day he goes in and cleanses the temple, kicks the money changers out, uh, stops the priestly order and the working there, then they come out and they see the tree withered a picture of what he just did in the temple and in other words that issue of the mosaic law system is done it's cursed he's on his way to calvary to establish to shed the blood of the new covenant the new testament so again here in mark we are five days out from the cross and if you think about you know john uh, matthew 21 Comparative passage, we're about the week before. Mark 11, we're that week before. Luke 19, we're the week before. You think about John, everybody wants you to read John. John 12, you're six days before Calvary. Then in chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, you're literally the night before the cross in the upper room. And he dies in 19, so that's where you're at. You're not, we're not too far along so great portions of the gospels uh, are given to this information in the week prior to the the cross so it's obviously very important and again we have to keep the context in mind because as he's doing here and as he's giving these clearly unconditional prayer uh, promises there these guys have We'll see it here, and we've been looking at it, I know, as we go along here, 
when he says this to them, it's clear and it's unconditional. You ask and you'll get it. And yet when you and I, when today, when we try to do this and it doesn't work, then what does the preacher do? All the excuses come in. Well, you don't have enough faith. Well, you got hidden sin. You didn't give enough. You didn't tithe. Now you're an Old Testament Jew. You know, you didn't do this. You didn't do that and all this stuff. And in reality, when you just leave it here, where he's talking to the, the, to the apostles, to the leaders of the little flock, and he's going to answer them, and the answer in verse 22, and Jesus answering saith unto them, the answer is in response to Peter in verse 21 about the withered fig tree, about, hey, that the religious, the religion of the apostate nation, God gave Israel the only religion, and then it became the Jews' religion. They, they, they uh, polluted it. They, they caused it to... to uh, go away, to, to become apostate, that's the word. And when they did that, it became the Jews' Sabbath. It became the Jews' Passover. It became the Jew. It wasn't the Lord's anymore. That's why when he goes in and he looks around, they're not worshiping him. They're worshiping other things. So the, in response to that, hey, that fig tree's withered up, he says, have faith in God. Okay, guys, you see what's happened here in picture of the, of the, uh, of the withering, the, the cursing, the done away of that old Mosaic law? So you guys, the answer is have faith and put your faith in God. Put your faith in what God says. Now, again, some, some will say, well, what is your faith telling you? That's a great line. Well, what does your faith tell you? My faith tells me that I'm going to do what the Word of God says. That's what his answer is here. Faith cometh from hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith doesn't come by you just <clears throat> trying to think that you believe enough and it's going to be there. Faith comes by finding out what God says and trusting that. Come over to... Uh, well, it, the idea, 1 John 5, 1 John 5, here's the idea. You see, when the, these guys, the prayer promise that we're looking at and the other ones in the Gospels come from them resting in what God says. Have faith in God. 1 John 5, verse 9, if we receive the witness of men. Well, how do we usually receive the witness of men? We trust them. We believe them. We take their word at it. The witness of God is greater. You see, the faith, that non-meritorious sense of perception here, where you simply trust the word of someone. And when you come back here in Mark 11, what's happening is, is Peter says it's withered, and God says, yes, have faith in God. Trust what God says, because when you do that, verse 23, Mark eleven twenty-three, 23, For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe 
that those things which he saith will come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. That unconditional prayer promise in, for Israel here in, that, in the kingdom program, talking to the little flock, he says, listen, you have faith in what God's doing in the moment. What does his word say that God is doing today? And you know what will happen? You ask it, and I'll give it to you. And I know that's what we looked at last time when we went back in the Old Testament and so forth. So the issue here, verse 24, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Again, how prayer works in the kingdom program. It's designed in the, pro, in the kingdom program to function this way. When you have faith, when you believe, when you trust what God says, and then you, you look at the program that God has in effect, then you'll be talking to God about what's going on in life, in light of God's word, then when you talk about what God's word says and you apply that, then what's going to happen? Verse 24, you're going to get it. See, And that's what's happening here. That's why I said it's a clear prayer promise. Now, in verse 23, I don't know if, I don't remember if we talked about the mountain thing, but anyway, it's been two weeks, so we'll talk about the mountain here real quick. When you talk about the mountain, when he talks here about, and you say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast in the sea, you can take that in really two ways. You can take it in, look over at Zechariah 14. Zechariah 14. You can take it to, as him pointing to the mountain, to the temple, that that the that the the nation has just polluted, that he just cursed, he just cleaned out, he just emptied, and then he says, "Be thou removed, take the kingdom from that apostate nation, and he's going to give it to the little flock. If you're not little flock, it is your father's good pleasure. So I'm going to take the temple. The temple is what made them the nation. Was the temple." Okay, God dwelling among them and with them. That's what made them a nation. But what did the nation do to it? False religion, apostate, vain, empty, traditions of men, traditions of the elders. And then he says, be thou removed. I'm going to take it from the apostate nation and I'm going to give it to the little flock. And then he says there about casting them into the sea. And the sea is a reference in, in prophetic scriptures to the Gentiles, to the nations out there. And that's exactly what Stephen did to him in Acts 7. He, the, the, the fall of Israel. He called them uncircumcised and hearts and ears. He cast them out. But if you look at Zechariah 14, there's an issue here of where he's standing and when he looks at the mountain and he says, be removed, and that is the issue of the Mount of Olives, okay? And at the second coming, the Mount of Olives is going to be removed. So literally, what are we, he, in, in Mark 11 and in Matthew and so forth, he's 
talking about second coming information here. Okay? Zechariah 14, if you look there at verse number 4. Second, uh, Zechariah 14, 4. And his feet shall stand in that day, the day of battle, the day of his second coming, upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountains shall remove toward the north, and half of, the, of it toward the south. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azel. And then you're going to have the, there's going to be uh, verse 8. And it shall be in that day that living water shall go out from Jerusalem and half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea. And in the summer and the winter shall it be. Literally in the second coming when he comes down out of the north and he crosses over the Jordan River right where the stones are, right where he is. He, for the first time, he puts his feet down on the earth that's on Mount of Olives. And what's happened? The mountain is removed. It's cleaved. It's divided. It's and there's a valley cut right into the Mediterranean Sea. And the geography of it is, is then the water comes into the Dead Sea, which is a dead sea, makes it a living water now. And then it flows and it does. So when you come to here about talking about the mountain, you can say that he's talking about this issue of his second coming and the mountain of olives, Mount, Mount, Mount of Olives. By the way, the Mount of Olives, that's where he just left in Acts 1, where he leaves and goes and angels, what are you guys standing around here? You see where, how, that's how he's going to come back right here. So when he stands, come back to Mark 11, he's going to separate that mountain out. So literally when he says, hey, when you guys pray that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thy removed, it's a second coming passage. That's what he's doing here. He's getting that little flock ready for his absence, the Acts ministry, and then going into the 70th week of Daniel. He's getting them ready. But now also, you can use it another way, legitimately, okay? And you, you can use it, come over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You can use it this way as well, and that is an issue of it being an obstacle standing in front of you, okay? So... The mountain can be, yes, it can be the Mount of Olives in the literal second coming reference, but it also is going to be a reference to the issue of an obstacle that you're facing, and they're going to be facing quite a few obstacles as they go along. Now, in 1 Corinthians, Paul here uses the reference to a mountain in this, in, in this manner here of as an obstacle. Okay, now in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, he's talking about spiritual gifts. And the gifts were given supernaturally to accomplish some things in the early days of the church. They don't have all, they don't have the finished canon of scripture. Paul hasn't written anything, so the gifts have a, a job to do. If you look at verse 31, 12, 31. 
but covet earnestly the best gifts. Now, it's interesting, the best, the best gifts. Well, those would be what he just did in verse 28. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondary prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, then he gives a whole bunch of lists. So what would be the best gifts? It would be that, those edification gifts, okay? But now watch how verse 31, And yet show I unto you a more excellent way. There's a way that is more excellent than the gifts. 13.8, charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. So the more excellent way is the way of charity. Charity is the more excellent way here. So what does he do in 13.1? He's now going to talk about, I know it bugs the dickens out of me when people say, 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. No, it's not. <laughs> Sorry. You know, don't, charity and love, charity, love is the way we, is the way we view people. Charity is, the, is what we do with people. See, here's my esteem, my attitude towards them. And here's me doing that. So they're really in Scripture two different things. But notice 13.1. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Psalms and Isaiah says about the Antichrist and these guys that speak in tongues that they peep and mutter. <laughs> they're, they're just a bunch of... They just got a bunch of noise. That's all they are. They're nothing. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, so now there's going to be the gift of faith and the gift of stuff that he's been talking about up in chapter 12, and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, and have not charity, I am nothing. I have all these gifts. I can remove mountains. So the gift of faith, I have all faith. The gift of faith is connected with the ability to remove mountains. What did he say in Mark 11? Have faith in God. What's the word of God say? What is God doing today? What's the program? What's, what's he doing? And that's connected to this issue of removing mountains. Having faith in God, so obviously removing the obstacle that's in the way, and that is connected. By the way, just so you look at verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity. You see, usually we think about charity as taking care of the poor. Paul says, no, I take care of the poor, and though I don't have charity, I'm not doing it with the proper grace motivation, it's profit is nothing. It's just me out here doing, doing stuff in my own energy. So when you come back to Mark 11, you can take the removing of the mountain as an obstacle that's going to be in front of the, of the little flock. 
of the believing remnant. Or you can take it as the Mount of Olives and that, and that second coming issues. You can take it either way, okay? But what I want you to see in verse 23 and then in verse 24, that miraculous answer to prayer is what he's talking about. If you have faith in God, what is God doing right now in the moment of Mark 11? And you're thinking about it, you're praying about it, and that then what's going to happen? You're going to get your prayers answered. Okay? Now come over to John 14. John 14. And just see that issue. These unconditional prayer requests that the Lord makes in his earthly ministry, again, they tend to strike fear in people because they go try to do it and it doesn't work. Well, why doesn't it work? Well, dispensational Bible study, right division, helps you understand that God, Christ isn't talking to you today. He's talking to usually, well, John 14, he's talking to the little flock. John 14, if you look at verse 12, verily, verily, I say unto you. By the way, when he says verily, verily, that's a signal statement of pay attention here. I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he also do, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now, notice I say unto you. He's talking to the apostles. He's in the upper room. The only people in the upper room are the 12 apostles. Okay? Now, and that's according to Luke twenty-two fourteen. Judas has just left to do the betrayal. So we have 11 in the upper room. Okay? So who's he talking to? He's not talking to everybody. This isn't a broad statement to the whole of every... He's talking to who? The leadership of the little flock. Verse 13. And whatsoever ye... There we are. The group, the little flock, the leadership of the little flock, ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, keep my commandments. That is very clear, unconditional prayer promise. He doesn't say, if you only do a little, if you only ask these certain things, he says, no, whatever. You see, this prayer promise is available all the time to that little flock, not just whenever it pleases for them to pipe up a prayer. It's there all the time. You, and you understand that that's what, again, it doesn't work today. You know, you hear the, I, I heard a guy one time uh, years ago, years ago, I used to, watch and pay attention to the mega churches. I would take the end of the year or the first of the year and go look at what they're doing because they have a pulse on uh, marketing and community and what's happening out there in Christendom. And I was listening to a guy actually here locally and he made the comment about I had a I, I had a I had a bill due so I prayed to the to the father that I could get that he would, you know, send me the money, if you will, and 
I went down to the post box, the mailbox, and there was a check in there, and it just happened to be the right amount for the bill, and the bill was paid. Okay? So then if you have the same faith, and then it'll happen to you. But, you know, if you think about that, logically it doesn't make sense because the guy that wrote the check had to write it four days earlier before he prayed to the Father for, an aunt, for help to get it in the mail to get there in four days, okay? But then the other thing is, is he doesn't tell you how often he's prayed that prayer and there be nothing in the mailbox, see? They don't tell you that part. Have faith in God. Go back to Mark 11. That's what, that's what he, just believe the book. Believe what God says. When you pray, prayer in Scripture is always done according to the purpose that God has in operation. You pray that way. You pray the way He would have you pray. Not the way you want to pray. Okay? I mean, I got bills. You know, Lord, help. I need help. <laughs> you know? And, and I'm down at the mailbox checking and there's nothing there. Then what do I think? He doesn't love me. He hates me. I've done something wrong. I don't have enough faith. So now I'm on this treadmill of performance, and it's, it doesn't work that way because he's not working this way. This is Israel's program. Now look at verse 24. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye, notice that word, desire. Now where does your desire come from? Your heart. Well, what's he going to do with these with the believing remnant? He's going to write his laws in their heart. You see, he's going to give them the proper desire, and they're going to operate and function in line with the word. He's not talking about fleshly desires here, you know. I was coming down the road, at the, <laughs> I was on the road the other day, and this guy drove by me in a, in a Corvette. And that's my, mm, you know, I'm selling everything, kid, livestock, stock, whole barrel, man, I'll live in it, all right, to get a 2019 Corvette, you know, Z7, I got it figured out, so, again, Lord, if you're listening, I need one, okay, the ministry needs one, right, that's how you do that, right, and the ministry needs a pontoon boat, and, a, you know, it's right, boom, well, what, are, you know, and you, that's, first of all, I don't know if I can afford the insurance payment on it, if it was given to me free and clear. I'm sure I, I would like to try, okay? Let me say it like that. But see, that's not what he's talking about here. When, they're, when they trust what the Word says, when you pray, see that? Believe that you receive them and you shall have them. When, when, they when you express your faith, when you believe the sound doctrine and you trust it, then what's going to happen? There's going to be an answer for them. Christ is making it very clear here that the Father is very eager to deliver, to deliver the little flock from the 70th week of Daniel, from the persecution, from the assault, from the destruction. He wants to deliver them, but they have to go through it. That's the program. 
So what does he say? Believing, have faith in God. Now watch verse 25, because here's something that gets revved up, and you know what the preachers do with these two verses? They skip right over them, because what does he say? And when you stand praying, forgive. If ye have aught against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. So now what do we have? Now we're on a conditional issue here. Where does this come from? If you forgive then I'll forgive you, but if you don't, then I won't. That doesn't work today. And again, if there's any reason in Bible study to stop and say, wait a minute, what's really going on in this passage are these two verses. Because today, what are we? We're forgiven all of our trespasses, past, present, and future. Why? Because Calvary... Your sins were future of Calvary regardless. <laughs> and there you go. Now, come over to Matthew 6. Because, again, the, the, I know what we do. I know what people do. They grab one verse, and they skip another verse, and then they grab another, and they pull, well, a verse out of context. A verse with no text, context is a pretext. So they pop verses out all over the place, and you can't do that. Because, and we'll see here in a minute when we get back in Mark 11, that having faith in prayer is going to be connected to this forgiveness issue. Look at Matthew 6. The official prayer of the Roman Catholic Church and all of Christendom. Okay? Verse 9. After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. That's not a good thing. See? That's th this is a prayer of the saint in the tribulation. This isn't the Lord's prayer. I mean, they, everybody calls it the Lord's prayer. John 17 is the, is the Lord's prayer. Okay? Not this. This is that, that, that kingdom saint. Thy kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread if you're asking for daily bread then you are in a destitute situation we're not that way today i go to the grocery store five bags later 200 bucks nowadays it's crazy go home fill up the refrigerator i am not destitute of my daily bread i have plenty they're, be, they're asking for daily bread. Okay? So what are they? Destitute. The picture of this is in the wilderness with the manna. There's the picture of it. But these are folks in the moment, in that 70th week, what are they begging for? Just, just two-day stale bread. I, this is not for you and I. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. By the way, the Catholics drop verse 13. They don't read verse 13. We were at a, fu a Catholic uh, funeral.
Catholic wedding. <laughs> Same thing, I guess. But we were at a Catholic wedding, and we're sitting in the audience. It was a lady that Linda worked with. It was her kid getting married. And we're sitting there, and three-quarters of the group are LDS. And so we, everybody's saying the prayer, and the, the room stopped, and then the Mormons kept going because they say the whole thing, you know. But look at verse 14. Again, by the way, everybody stops at verse 13. But look at verse 14. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Very conditional. Come over to Colossians chapter uh, 3. Make it chapter 2. Colossians 2. You see, today we are forgiven. Colossians 2, verse 13, And you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together having, with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Not piecemealed out, not based upon, uh, go back there to Mark 11, not based upon if your activity, not based upon whether you did enough or said enough or short account system or any of that, you and I are for, forgiven. They don't have that. They have to perform. They have to work through this. You and I, we are forgiven. By the way, we're forgiven, so guess what? We know how to forgive. Ephesians 4, you're, you, I don't know if you're still in Colossians 3. But if you look at Colossians 3, verse 13, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. We don't have to worry about being forgiven. We are forgiven. So then, therefore, what can we do? We can forgive. Now, when you go back to Mark 11, watch these guys. You see, if you leave the verses where they sit, <laughs> then you're good. But when you don't, you end up destroying the very life of the believer in the dispensation of grace. So liberate yourself and leave them where they sit. That's why when we come and we study these passages, these books, we study them dispensationally. We leave them where they sit. Now watch 11.25. And when ye stand praying, forgive. Now think about when you're standing, when you stand praying, forgive. These folks are going to have to, they're going to need to forgive. Now again, he's looking at the future the 70th week of Daniel, what are they going to have to do? They're going to have to forgive. And there's a lot of passages. We're just going to look at one, Psalms 37. Because the whole of Psalms 37 lays this out clear as day that they're going to have to forgive. And they're going to have to do this. But again, why are they forgiving? Have faith in God. What does God's word say to them? Forgive. When you stand praying, 
forgive. Why? Because then what you're praying for will be, will be given to you. Again, it's an unconditional thing. You're going to get it, but you better be doing what the Word of God says for them to do. Now, Psalms 37 is a psalm of David, okay? And it's looking, verse 7, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not thyself because of Him, who, because of Him who prospereth in His way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. He's, they're they're, they're going to be up against them. There's going to be people who are going to use wicked devices to prosper. They're going to economically take advantage of them. Okay? Now you think about what happens in the book of the Revelation in the midst of the week. There's a little thing called the mark of the beast that shows up that you can't buy or sell without it. So what's the Jew over here that's taken the mark going to do to that believing remnant? He's going to create a wicked device to take advantage of them. Keep reading. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Look at that. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. People are going to inflict them with injustice. Verse 7 and what are they to do? They're to do verse 8. They're to cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evil doers shall be cut off. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Isn't that interesting? Why are you going to do this? Because if you do what the word of God says for you to do, you're going to inherit the earth. What did he just tell them to do? Cease from anger. Forgive them. Why? Well, because if you do, if you have faith in God and you do what the Word of God says, you're going to get you're, you're going to be good to go. Look at verse 10. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt uh, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plotteth against the just and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. Look at what the wicked are going to do to these folks. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. The wicked hath drawn out the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy and to slay such as be of upright conversation. Their sword shall enter into their own heart, and their bow, uh, bows shall be broken. And a little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. Look at that. There's going to be a time when that little flock is persecuted beyond any reasonable thought. And what are they going to do? The little flock needs to understand First of all, who they are, and they need to understand what the Word of God says for who they are, what are they going to do? They're going to forgive. You keep reading the rest of this chapter, 40 verses. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time. In the days of famine, they shall be satisfied. What's, what is it? Whatever you pray, believing and asking, whatever you desire, it'll be yours. 
but you better be doing what the word says for them to do you're not or you're not believing you're not trusting they shall not be ashamed in the evil time what are they you know what they're going to do they're going to look across there they they're not going to take the mark of the beast they know better they believe that they trust in it and they're going to see their neighbors fat and sassy eating turkey dinner every time and they're going to be sitting over here fighting over pinto beans and a little can of whatever's left. And if you think about as a dad looking at your kids not eating, there's a strong draw to what? Go over there and make a deal with the devil. But what's dad know? What's the overcomer know? Those overcomer passages, the churches there in Revelation, that future, what do they know? That if they stay the course and if they die, they won't see the what? The second death. Remember that? They're going to be what? They're going to be resurrected right on in. Now, there's other things going on there, but when you think about just feeding your family, no wonder you're going to pray, Lord, give us our daily bread here. No wonder the, the Lord looks there in Matthew 25 and he looks at those Gentile nations and he says, when, you, when I was hungered and thirsty and you gave me food and you gave me drink, no wonder he, Abraham and covenant, move on in, guys. You're good to go. What did they do? They reached in and they helped. The point here is, is they, they have an understanding of who they are. And as they're moving here, they're going to recognize more about what's going on here than just, okay, this is what it is. They're going to have that issue of forgiveness. Because what do they know? They know in the end, verse 20, but the wicked shall perish and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall, con they shall consume into smoke, shall they consume away. The wicked borroweth and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. And you can keep reading there. Go back to Matthew 18. The point is, is when he looks at them and says, Stand, when you stand and pray, Matthew 18, forgive. They're doing what the word of God to them says for them to do. And that's what prayer is. Prayer in scripture is what does the word of God say to you in time to be about. That's what you're doing. I know we looked at it in, first, in 2 Corinthians 12. When Paul's got that thorn in the flesh, three times he asks for it to be removed. God answers his prayer. Remember what I said? Those first five words. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient and so on. That's what he said. But what's the answer to the prayer? And he said unto me. What does the word of God, have faith in God, what does the word of God say to these people here in the Lord's earthly ministry. You better have faith. You better be doing what the Word of God says to you guys, and you better forgive. And if you don't, then you don't get. Okay? The Father won't forgive you. Matthew 18, if you look here, verse 18. In Matthew 18, the Lord is teaching them about forgiveness 
And really the context of verse 18 starts back up there in verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trans trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, take with thee uh, one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. So this is the context is that church discipline, the kingdom church. Here's how the kingdom church is going gonna, is gonna to execute authority. By the way, verse 20, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. That is now a prayer promise. So we're going to stop this, more, this evening and we're going to pray because we got, well, we got more than two or three. So, and we're going to get it and get her done, you know. No. This is the quorum for activity in the absence of the Savior. Actually, in chapter 16, he gave authority to act in his absence to Peter and Peter alone. And then he says, okay, now when the group gets together, verse 18, Verily I say unto you, the group, whatsoever ye, the group, shall bind on earth, shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth, shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto thee that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Clearly here. Uh, what are they doing? They need to take action. So then what do they need? They need a quorum. Verse 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of thee. J.C. O'Hare said one time, when two or three are gathered in my name, take a collection. <laughs> so the offering box is in the back, okay? <laughs> There's two or three of you. Come on now. All right, let's fill that bad boy up, right? No, what's the deal? What's happening here? When that kingdom church is going to do some things, that little out there, they got to have a quorum. you got to have a, the necessary number to take action. Now, look at verse 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times. Notice the question. Because of the forgiveness issue, notice the question. Now watch the answer. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Now, what's 70 times 7? 490. Does that number ring a bell? Okay. It's a very, very important number. Come back to Daniel 9. It's 490 years, isn't it? See that? Daniel chapter 9. Daniel 9, verse 24. You see... The answer is very, you know, everybody, oh, 70 times 7, and they go on and on and on and on about it, and they're missing what the Lord is teaching here. Daniel 9, 24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy 
city to finish the transgression and make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. The 70 weeks, weeks of something, okay? So it's seven somethings. That's what a week is, seven days. We got weeks of months, weeks of years, which is what this is. So 70 weeks of seven years, seven times seven, 490 years. The very time schedule for the concluding of the fifth course of judgment of Leviticus 26 is what the Lord just told Peter and that little flock. That's how many times you're going to have to forgive, and it's 490 of them of years. So you're going to forgive, you have to forgive the whole time schedule, Israel, believing remnant. You see that? You've got to forgive the whole blessed thing. But yet, what are they facing in Matthew, Mark? What are they facing? They're facing that 70th week, aren't they? Thus the seventy. Not only are they to be forgiving and work that thing through the whole, but they're also going to be in that 70th week because that's where they're headed. Come over to Hebrews chapter 8. Until They are to be forgiving the whole time until that 70th week is over. And how does the 70th week end? In his second coming, in his return. Look at Hebrews chapter 8. Just... So when you hear people spout on and on about 70 times 7 and all this stuff, just stick your fingers in their ears and wait for you to they quit moving their mouth and then listen to them. Because people, people miss it. 70, that 70th week, you've got that whole time. In Hebrews 8, if you look at verse 7, Hebrews 8, 7, again, the issue of forgiveness and the issue of have faith in God's word. It's all right there. And again, in Scripture, we're to pray in line with the program that God has in place in the moment. Not, oh, I wish it was this, so therefore it is, you know, God's a big vending machine in the sky, and if I pray enough, he'll just drop that Corvette on my head. Well, in the driveway would be better, you know. So I'm dumping them in. You know, and oh, I'm, I'm two quarters short, so I get over here and gin it all up again. No, not at all. You go in, what does the Word of God say? Take that and apply that to the details of life. Hebrews 8, verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. We're talking about the new covenant here. If the first covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the law, The if-then, if it had worked, we wouldn't have needed a second, but it didn't work for finding fault with them. See, it didn't work. They couldn't keep the first covenant. He saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Again, this is Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. This is not you and I. This is the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not according to 
the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. That'll be the Mosaic law. Because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind, and I will write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. When they pray, why can they pray and receive the things that they're asking? What's happening here? They've got the right word written in there, okay? They shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. By the way, if you think you're a New Testament church or a New Covenant, a New Testament believer, you can't go out sharing the gospel. Everybody's going to know him. Now, this is Israel. That's why Matthew 28 they go out to the nations. They don't. They're good to go. See, that's a kingdom commission. What they're going to do in the thousand years, a millennial kingdom. Matthew twenty-eight. There, that's what they're doing. You see, so you kind of leave stuff where it is. Otherwise, you get mass confusion. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities. Will I remember no more? In that he saith. By the way, Daniel nine. The 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy hope to finish the transgression and then to bring about the issue of, of the reconciliation of the iniquity and all of that. There it is. Here he's doing it. And what he saith, verse 13, a new covenant, he that made the first old, now that which decayeth, waxeth old, is ready to vanish away. What are they doing here? Come over to James next book over <clears throat> that's what we're talking about we're talking about that little flock in the kingdom program in that 70th week going through being persecuted and going through all of the trials and they're standing there praying obeying God's word in the moment in it and they have to forgive the wickedness against them they can't harbor the ill the evil the anger James chapter 5, actually do verse chapter 1, verse 1 again. Anytime you go to James and you hear people preach and talk about James, go to James 1, 1, James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad greeting. So the guy talking about James, ask him what tribe he's a part of. And then ask him how you can run your DNA to make sure what tribe you belong to. And you'll find out you don't belong to any of them. You're a Gentile. And guess what? The dude talking about James being for us today is a Gentile too, usually. All right? Now go to chapter 5 because here's the classic passage on prayer, 516. Confess your faults. Actually, it's the end of the verse. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And there's the classic passage. However, what does verse 16 have? A context. Who are we talking to? First of all, who's talking? James. Galatians chapter 2, Peter, James, and John give Paul the right hand of the fellowship that we'll go to the circumcision, and Paul, you go to the heathen. That's this James, the writer of the book here. 
So who's he going to be talking to? He's going to be talking to the little flock, the circumcision. Verse 14, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of what? Isn't that interesting? See how prayer and faith is all connected? Have faith in God, Mark 11. Now watch. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Not maybe save the sick, potentially save the sick. Down the road one day say, no, it shall. It will be done. It's God's will that the sick, well, the rest of the verse, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he shall and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. See, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. Confessing your fault. He's not talking about, oh, you know, I, I offended Bruce uh, at, at, at 11.55 on December the 5th. And I got, you know, he's not talking about that at all. See, he's, he's talking about having that heart of faith. He's talking about that prayer of faith and the issue of forgiveness. So we're in Mark 11 here. By the way, the, the thing there about confess your faults, in Leviticus 26, in order to get out of the courses of judgment, the, verse 40 and 41, there is to be a national confession Daniel does it in Daniel 9, in the beginning of that chapter. He confesses the sins of the nation. So that issue there is a national confession. Not, I'm over here, and you know what I did? I took an M&M, and I shouldn't have took an M&M. Oh, you know, Father, forgive me. It's not that at all. It's the condition of, why was Israel sick? They weren't keeping the covenants. They weren't obeying God's word. And by the way, that's what Daniel says in Daniel 9. We disobeyed your word, and we, and we were right for what you were right in doing for us what you did. And now we're better. Now, it's like, now let's get going. Now, watch verse 17. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. Elias, Elijah. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. Isn't that interesting? Three and a half. What did Elijah do? Think, remember Elijah, Ahab, Jezebel, and the, and the Baal? And he prays for there to be... He does what Deuteronomy 11, what the Lord through Moses told Israel, if you don't obey my word then the, the heaven will be as an iron. It will be shut down. You will not receive the rain. Now, if you believe my word, it will rain and you'll prosper and grow. Daniel 11, uh, it's like verse 15, 16, 17, middle of the chapter, okay? That's what Elijah is doing. He comes in, verse 18, and, and he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought. See, the fervent prayer of a righteous man. And look at, so if you're a righteous man, God will rain down. No, what did, Dan, what did Elijah do? He did what the word of God said was going to happen if they didn't follow the word. So 
Elijah is praying in light of what the word of God said to the nation. He's not over here, oh, you know, none of that, you know. You go into Kings and you read Elijah and, and and he looks at him and he says, you know, how can you halt between two opinions? You can't. You're either with God or you're with Baal. Choose it out. Let's figure this out, you know. So that's what Elijah does. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one covet, uh, convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his ways shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Go back to Mark 11. <clears throat> a long way around all that, but it's what's happening. Because what's going to happen now in the passage in Mark 11 is now in verse 27, and they can't come again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, there come to him the chief priests and the scribes and the elders and say unto him, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority to do these things? And you know what's going to happen? Now the onslaught is going to happen about authority. And the attack is going to happen. Now what did he just do? He cleaned the temple out again. He did all that. He's talking to the the leaders of the little flock, and he says, listen, guys, you're going to get persecuted. Have faith in the program of God. What's God's program? I'm going to go to Calvary, and I'm going to die. I'm going to be resurrected. Then I'm going to ascend. I'm going to leave you. And when I leave you, another comforter will come, and he'll move you through and through the next stage. And what's going to happen is the day of Pentecost, and then you're going to, you're going to build up that little flock, and then wrath is going to come. And when you go through the 70th week and you go through that, that period of wrath, have faith. It's right where I'm supposed to be. It's right where you're supposed to be. Praying, you'll get. Forgive. Do the program. In multi-level marketing, we used to say, work the program. So we did until the company went out of business. It's like, okay. You know? Actually, the other day we were cleaning out a box. I was cleaning out a box, not the other day, a couple months ago now. And I found my original Amway membership card from the 1980s. (laughs) And anyway, they're still around, but I don't know what they're doing, you know. So I didn't make much money, if any, okay? The point is, is, and we'll pick up in verse 27 next time. It's time to quit. But just don't read yourself into these prayer promises. They're not yours. Your prayer promise is, and what did he, and he said unto me. What does the word of God say to you and I today? In the age of grace, in the dispensation of grace, as, as members of the church, the body of Christ, what does he say? Well, I'm talking to the Father about the details of life. What does these words say about the details of life? And then let's take that and apply that to life and then go live that out. That's what these guys are doing. Same thing. It's just different program. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening. We thank you for the study. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the insight into what the Lord is teaching here. And the little flock is learning as they'll be able to stand on in the future day. In your name we pray, amen.